Okay, good morning everyone. I hope you had a wonderful worship hour. You're good. (laughs) Um, Let me just say uh, happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Uh, The older I get, the more I realize uh, just how much of a sacrifice and uh, just overall hard work it is to be a father. So I hope you guys have a uh, a uh, good day today, celebrating uh, with your family. Um, so, Neil just preached on Esther, so we might as well just call this class off, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, had a good week at camp, still recovering, still sleepy. <laughs> um, I had the uh, oldest boys' cabin, so you know how that goes. Uh, but, um, we'll be going into Esther officially. Uh, finally, uh, reading uh, the first chapter and talking about some points of interest. Uh, last week's homework was basically read the book. You know, um, we often make the mistake of uh, chopping up the Bible and, or books of the Bible into little pieces, and uh, especially with in the case of books like Esther, you know, it's a, it's a narrative, so it's important for us to uh, read. Uh, cover to cover, or at least once, um, and, and kind of get the idea, the gist of what the flow is and what the narrative is. Um, but I, I trust that you all have done that. Uh, so from now on, we'll be going through Esther together. Um, try to go uh, chapter by chapter, if not um, as much as we can, portion by portion. <laughs> um, but Esther's not a long book, so hopefully we'll be able to get through it um, so let's just start by reading. Um, can somebody read from verse 1 through, let's see, 9 of chapter 1, please? Okay, so um, in this first section we see some exposition, uh, what's going on, uh, what context we're in. And it, it focuses on this king, this emperor, King Ahasuerus. Uh, we know this to be probably King Xerxes, uh, as uh, Neil mentioned uh, in his sermon. Um, but Ahasuerus, this king, uh, was a great king, a lot of splendor, a lot of pomp, uh, and he liked to flex it. Um, and for 180 days right, of this showing off, I mean, that's half a year. Right there, of of just just straight up uh, uh, displaying his glory, his riches, and his power, authority to to all the provinces, and then seven more days of feasts uh, in the in the capital for all people. Not just uh, you know this wasn't just for uh, the governors and the officials this time. This was for everybody, right? Um, for the capital city of Susa. If any of you have hosted a Thanksgiving meal or a Christmas uh, dinner. You know how much work goes into preparing food and uh, you know festivities and all that kind of stuff for one night. I mean, think about seven straight full days of an entire city. That's a lot of resources. That's a lot of manpower, uh, a lot of time invested. Um, it just goes to show just how much power, how much splendor. Uh, and what kind of authority this king uh, was was able to flex um, to his people and to the the princes and the officials 
uh, and the governors, etc., etc. So um, we're already kind of seeing what kind of king this is, uh, what kind of personality this person has as a leader. Um, but and, and we notice that by uh, noticing what is being said about his power. You know, kings have a lot of power, a lot of authority, um, especially uh, during this kind of time when uh, monarchies, royalties existed, and, and their word was kind of like the law. Uh, these people had a lot of power, but uh, things, certain things differentiated between certain kings, and this king seems to be the kind of king that uh, likes the attention uh, to himself. Um, and enjoyed uh, the power that he had. Um, now, uh, is this a king that is uh, able to provide his people? Now, uh, those seven days of feasting, that's good. You know, uh, a lot of food, a lot of uh, celebration, a lot of wine, a lot of drinking, uh, lots of festivities, right? But what do people need actually from their kings, their rulers? The authorities is it just food and just festivities, just fun and, and drinking, or is it justice? Is it uh, lack of corruption in, in in the seats of power? Is it actually looking after the people who are suffering, people who are less fortunate, people who are marginalized, right? So these things kind of tell you what kind of king uh, this. King Ahasuerus is. He may be giving away a lot of free food and a lot of drinking and all that kind of stuff. You know, you can do whatever you want. Uh, there's no rule that, that holds you back or against what you want to do. Sure, that's great on the surface level, but is this a king who is able to provide justice and the things like peace, things that the people actually need? Uh, and we will we will find out. Um, and verse seven says, uh, "Drinking or drinks were served in golden vessels." And again, if this was a feast at the scale that that this book is telling us, this author is telling us about, if this is true, then that's a lot of gold. It's a lot of golden vessels. It's a lot of precious jewels. It's a lot of a lot of pomp and 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 splendor. Um, for Israelites, before the exile and the uh, destruction of Solomon's temple, which was around 586 BC, uh, much of their gold, a lot, you know, their, their splendor, if you will, was focused on what? Yes, but what, what, what were those things dedicated to for the Israelites? Who did they dedicate their best stuff to? To God. Right, so a lot of gold, a lot of precious things, a lot of the best, you know, uh, 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 timber, wood, materials like marble. They were all, guess what? They were all focused on the temple and the building of uh, the worship place and the the, the dwelling place of God. Um, now that's not to say, you know, kings like David or Solomon enjoyed riches and wealth and and splendor, but nevertheless, they first. Uh, focused on God and gave what was best to God. You see here, gold is used for uh, glasses and, and uh, vessels for drinking uh, for everybody. So you can kind of see the contrast of, of focus, uh, the contrast of uh, priorities here in these two different cultures. Um, 
And again, there were a lot of gold in the temple uh, when, when Solomon first built it. You can see uh, the description of, of the construction in 1 Kings chapter 6 um, about all the gold and all the ornaments and, and the, the decorations. Again, it just shows the difference in culture. And with this difference, we kind of get the idea, right? We talked about with the background of Esther. What the context of Esther is that we have Jews, right, that are dispersed throughout this empire that are not in their homeland. Now, we got people like uh, of Nehemiah and Ezra and, and those uh, that small pocket of Jews who return to their homeland and, and reconstruct and rebuild the temple, the walls, uh, the foundations. But we have a lot of other Israelites, a lot of other Jews who stay in these uh, different cultures and foreign lands in which they were initially uh, exiled to. Um, so you can kind of see uh, the difference in culture, and with that you, you, under, you start to understand, hey, this was the kind of culture that they found themselves in. Right? These are Jews who identified themselves uh, with God. Right? And with that identity comes laws, uh, standards, uh, ethics, a certain way to do things. I mean, even uh, like gold and things like that, those things, certain things were, are, were dedicated and were holy. Right? They were separated. Um, in this culture... Uh, not so much, right? Um, and doesn't that sound familiar to us? Uh, it's as if uh, Esther and, and the context in which these Jews find themselves in is very similar to what we find ourselves in, right? Uh, we are called to a, a higher standard, called to higher ethics, morals, right? Uh, certain things that we can do and can't do, um, now, we are under the law of Christ. Right? We're not under uh, uh, the Mosaic law or the, the Levit- Levitical law or any of those. But still, God calls us to a higher standard. And yet we find ourselves in a culture where uh, the king's edict, you know, do as you please. Right? Uh, there is no compulsion. Uh, you, every man does for himself uh, what he wants to do. Um, and it's kind of reminiscent of what we find ourselves in. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so, again, I think uh, a point of interest that, that we need to remember is that just because King Ahasuerus here is feeding the people freely for a week does not mean that he's necessarily a good king. And that does not mean that this culture is necessarily a, a good culture. Um, and this is the context that, that opens up uh, in the story of Esther and the Jews uh, find themselves in. Um, and again, uh, this, this kind of um, gives us a, a brief glimpse of the kind of life that they were living. Again, I, uh, like I mentioned earlier, this is kind of reminiscent. Uh, the situation the Jews find themselves in, 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 uh, in Susa and in the Persian Empire, is reminiscent of, of the Christian's uh, Situation in in the world, right? Um, and it, it just gives a uh, gives us a glimpse into the life of uh, a citizen in the Persian Empire. This kind of stuff happened, where kings with a lot of power and authority, uh, instead of being focused on you know uh, rolling out good laws and and peace and and things like that, they focused on themselves. They uh, flexed their power. 
they showed off their splendor and their their uh, their wealth and military might. For example, verse three tells us about his army, his nobles, governors. They were all called in and they were fed. Verse five that extends to everybody and everybody and 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 his splendor and pomp is is in the view of everyone in the capital. Um, and and again, this shows us just what kind of person Ahasuerus, King Ahasuerus is in his character, um, his power, his ar- arrogance, drunkenness, etc. Um, and again, that by extension, it gives us a clue as to what kind of culture the Jews found themselves in. All right, so can someone read from verse 10 through uh, the end of the chapter, please? Actually, let's let's break that up. Can somebody read from verse ten through um, verse twelve? Can somebody pick up from there all the way to, let's say, verse nineteen, please? Can someone please uh, finish out the chapter? So verse 10 uh, continues with the story, um, and this obviously becomes, this, this circumstance that we just read, it becomes the background for which Esther comes into play, right? Um, and puts Esther in, into the, in the vicinity of the king for her to be able to do some of the things that she will do later on in the book. Now, what I found interesting is uh, this whole deal with uh, uh, King Ahasuerus, Queen Vashti, and and um, Memekin's uh, advice, so to speak, um, to the king about this decree. Uh, obviously, we know that um, uh, male leadership is, is is a biblical idea; it's a biblical concept, right? But what the Bible what God does not command us to do is to make that a forceful thing, right? God doesn't expect men to, well, God expects men to step up and take that role of leadership, spiritual and otherwise, in the household uh, and in, in place of worship. But what God doesn't call men to do is to forcefully take that and, and abuse it. Now, we see a case here where we have poor leadership, right? King Ahasuerus apparently is not very likable uh, by Queen Vashti, and she does not want to come. Whatever reason, uh, for whatever reason, she does not want to come to, into his presence and, and does not want to be shown off in front of uh, the whole capital. So she refuses, and, and because of that, this whole pettiness ensues where this uh, this king, who is the king, the emperor over the one of the biggest empires of human history, is caught up by this fact that uh, his his queen did not show up when he wanted to, and he was probably drunk and and you know merry with wine and all that, uh, and then he goes on to use a legal system, right? Not only does he call on the wise men and and uh, the advisors, right, of, of, of his court in order to discuss this. Not only does he do that, but he uses, he takes that advice uh, of Memekin and uses the legal system in order to kind of get back at his queen who refused 
his uh, command to come into his presence so that he can show her off. I don't know about you guys, but that to me, it sounds like poor leadership. That to me, it sounds, it doesn't sound like a good king. Yes. It, it just doesn't sound like a good situation. It doesn't. Um, and, and again, this kind of, these kind of details tell you what kind of king, what kind of person King Ahasuerus was. And so far, not, not so good, right? He seems, uh, wishy-washy. Obviously, uh, it, with uh, his advisors, Memekin, he was pretty easily convinced to do this very big thing. I mean, to uh, to take this personal matter with him and his uh, queen and make it into a, a, a na- national, nationwide, empire-wide uh, law, legal situation. I mean, that's a uh, that's not that's not very good leadership, uh, especially. Um, considering that he was probably drunk and, and uh, married with wine, right, while all of this is happening. So, kind of get a glimpse into more of his character. Um, and earlier, you know, we asked, you know, this king feeds his people for seven days for free, and it's, it's, it sounds fun, it sounds good, and it sounds like he's, you know, providing for the needs of his people. But, on the other side of that, on the other side of food and drinks and, and, and shelter and fun, entertainment, on the other side of that is justice, is uh, goodwill and, and peace. And I guess him being in the position that he is, uh, good legal practice, right? Uh, making sure that the laws, that the edicts and the decrees that he set out are beneficial to the people and not just for his selfish needs and selfish wants. Um, but I guess we kind of got the answer to that question as to what kind of king he is. Um, and again, I, I mentioned this briefly just now, but uh, I would like for us to keep in mind that he is a wishy-washy, easily manipulated king. Right? Mamikin said one thing about uh, setting a law about you know women bowing down to uh, their husbands uh, in you know throughout all the the provinces and all that, and he said, "Wow, that's, that sounds like like a great idea. Let's let's put that out right now." And then he was easily manipulated into that. So uh, keep that in mind. That'll play a role uh, in later on in the story. Um, Neil kind of gave. He, well, he gave us a lot of spoilers <laughs> for the book, but one of the spoilers that he, he um, gave us in, in, with the book of Esther is that this king Ahasuerus, as, as great and pompous and a lot of splendor and glory as he is portraying of himself in this uh, first chapter, he's not the main character. I mean, obviously, the book is called Esther, so we know that Esther is the main character, but the main uh points of power, the main points of struggle, uh, it's not between Ahasuerus and someone else. It's between um, Mordecai and Haman, right? Um, now, Ezra is weaved in throughout all of that, and King Ahasuerus also plays a role, but uh, just goes to tell you, um, you can flex your power all you want, but if God doesn't want you to, or if God doesn't want to elevate you uh, beyond what he needs you to be, then, you know, that's just, that's God's will there. And um, maybe he shouldn't have been as arrogant and pompous as he was. So, um, this is also uh, a, a legal, or a foreshadowing of the legal system that will come into play throughout 
the book, um, which is important. Uh, says that um, King's word cannot be uh, repealed, right? Um, and and that's a foreshadowing. It's an introduction to the system uh, that that will play into the conflict of the story of Esther. Um, so keep that in mind. And doesn't this whole decree situation, doesn't it sound familiar where, um, you know, politicians making laws that doesn't really benefit the people and then they pat each other on the back and they're like, oh, you know, what great thing that we have done. And all the people are like, they go into chaos, literally, because <laughs> what, what, this is a ridiculous law, um, that, that King Hazards has decreed. Um, so again, it's just something that's relatable, uh, that, that we can, we can look at. So that's chapter one, and uh, it's a lot of exposition. It's a lot of background. As, uh, um, and in chapter two, we're going to start to see the story getting uh, or rolling. Um, Esther is going to be introduced, and we're going to see um, how this whole thing plays out. Um, but in chapter one, the main points of interest are these. I think there are three that, that we can focus on. Is one, the culture of Persia. We kind of get a glimpse into what kind of uh, culture that these Jews find themselves in, right? This Persian empire is wealthy. It's big. It's great. It's got a lot of provinces, right? It's like It's got a lot of land, obviously, a lot of powerful people, and King Ahasuerus sits on top of that. But remember, King Ahasuerus, uh, so far um, that we find out, found out in chapter 1, is not a very good leader. Um, is very wishy-washy, is very easily manipulated by his officials, by the people under him. Um, but nevertheless, this is the culture of Persia, where people are free to do as they will. There is no, uh, as far as I can tell from chapter 1, there is no sense of morality. There's, so, there's no sense of ethics. It's just drink, eat, have fun, uh, and make sure you pay homage to the king. <laughs> um, and number two, uh, is King Ahasuerus' character and his tendencies. Um, now, as other characters come into play, uh, this uh, characteristic of him, of his tendencies of being easily manipulated and uh, him being a weak ruler, will play an important role in the story of Esther. Because, as we know, who comes into power first, uh, very soon, in the book of Esther? Who gets elevated? Haman, right? And as Neil mentioned earlier in the in the sermon, Haman's Haman's not a good guy, uh, um, and he's got a lot of nefarious and, and malicious intention, um, especially against the people uh, of Mordecai, people, the Jews. Um, so, King Ahasuerus's characteristics and, and his tendencies will come into play, and the author is obviously laying it down thick for us um, and showing us just what kind of person he is um, and how that will all play into the story of Esther. And number three, I would say, is the legal system of uh, the Persian Empire under the rule of King Ahasuerus. Uh, we see this a lot um, in the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, where a royalty or a king, you know, sets out a decree or an edict, and it's it's written in stone, right? And it's it's the law of the land now. After it leaves its mouth, and is signed or whatever, 
It's the law of the land. And that's how it worked back in the day. And, and this legal system is going to be an important part of the story of Esther. And you can tell the author is intentionally telling this story and this exposition for the purpose of that. Right? So uh, earlier, um, I think it was last week, we talked about how the structure uh, and, and the, the extra textual uh, things, right, such as the genre of the book or the structure and how things are worded and how, what kind of details are included. All of these things are not by mistake. These are by design, right? This author who wrote Esther, he is, he or she is anonymous, right? We don't know who wrote Esther. Um, but nevertheless, you can see the intention behind uh, each and every word, each and every uh, sentence, paragraph, portions of the book, you can tell that, that this person is trying to tell a story and the decisions that the author makes is important and we need to, we need to respect that and we need to make sure that we're uh, uh, gleaning that so that um, we can get the full effect of the message of Ezra. So those three things, the culture of Persia, um, King Ahasuerus' character, um, and the legal system that will play an important role uh, in the, later on down the road in the story of Esther. Those three things, I think, we can take away from chapter one. Anything else? Uh, any comments, questions? Anything that popped out to you in chapter one of Esther? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> we had a party for the women. Right. So if we let this... <coughs> so that, that's a, you bring up a, an interesting point, is that um, there are pockets of... Well, I, I mean, that, that, that sounds reasonable. Or, you know, and, and that's okay, because these are complex characters. They're, they're not just flat and one-dimensional characters. There are real people who made real decisions... Uh, in the context of their lives. So, yes, um, I mean, this is kind of spoiling it, I guess, but even with Esther, right, she uh, is the, the heroine of the, the, the main character, the protagonist of the story, and yet she wasn't perfect, right? She went into a harem and, and had, I guess, uh, extra mar- uh, marital or premarital uh, dealings with the king, Right? God did not ordain harems, right? Nor did, does he expect women to... You know, so, like, uh, there are things uh, in each of these characters that you can find that are good, that are bad, and, and a lot of times they're kind of in the gray area, right? Um, and that's okay. It just goes to prove that these are real people. Um, and And... And, and they were making real decisions. So, uh, with what you said about the, the, um, the decree about drinking, right? Uh, you can kind of see that the culture was very free, right? It was uh, up to each person to decide what they wanted. There wasn't like a law where you had to do one or the other, right? And King was like, okay, you know what? It's a party. Just do what you want, right? So, um, with things like that, it's a double-edged sword, you know? There's freedom on one hand, but on the other side, um, you know, things that are just outside of just drinking, right? Uh, what are they also free to do? Uh, whatever they, they willed, right? So, 
Um, it's kind of like our, our own culture, right? We have the freedom, the liberty, but it, it still depends on how you use those things, right? Um, and with the, the, the queen situation, right? Uh, legally speaking and culturally speaking, the king wasn't his right to call the queen, right, to, to come into his presence um, and, and to be displayed as the queen, right, because she was beautiful. Uh, now, we can talk about how, you know, she may, might not have felt safe or, uh, or, you know, it's not fair, you know, for that to be, uh, for that to justify a death sentence or replacement. Um, but nevertheless, that, that's, that's King Ahasuerus, and, and he did not like the fact that the queen disobeyed him. And that's, again, another detail that kind of plays into the conflict of the story. If you, I mean, a lot of us, if not all of us, are familiar with the story of Esther, so this is not a spoiler or anything, but later on down the road, Esther has to make that choice to go into the king's presence without first being called, right? She has already seen a queen be taken out, right, because uh, she didn't follow the rules, right, that the king set forth, right? So that plays into that, those kinds of decisions later on down the road. And, and these details, the author has obviously made the decision to include because it plays a significant role and sets us up for the conflict resolution and all that kind of stuff later on down the road. So, thank you. Oh, that's, we got five more minutes. Anybody else? Anything that, that popped out to you? I know this is just exposition. Chapter one is pretty, you know, straightforward. There's nothing, nothing to dissect too much, <laughs> spiritually speaking at least. Um, so I understand that there's nothing else. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I want us to, as, as we're going through Esther, and something that I want to impart upon all of us is not just a message of Esther, but this, uh, this method of reading uh, books of the Bible. It's not just going through the books, just to read, you know, the, the words and whatnot, but really thinking about looking at these books as something that was written by a real person about real events, right? And these are real people who made real decisions in a real world. It's not just a pocket dimension where the rules are different just because it's the Bible, right? No, it's not. These are real people who made real decisions in real context. And when we do that, and when we read the book like that, it opens up a lot of things to us. Um, and, and the story pops out of the pages. Um, and also, it becomes more applicable and relatable to us, right? Because, like I said earlier, uh, we find ourselves in a very similar situation as these Jews who find themselves in the culture of Persia. There's a lot of freedom. Every man does as he wills. And there's, because of that, also a lot of uh, splendor, a lot of wealth, a lot of, uh, 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 I mean, I don't know if, if we can call this corruption, but poor legal practices, you know, in the seat of power. Um, and there's also a lot of uh, moral and, and ethical depravity, too, uh, in, in society. And don't we all find ourselves in the same situation, uh, even in such a great country as America? You know, So um, something to think about.
Uh, and as we read through the book of Esther like that, I think it'll do us uh, a lot of favor um, because it'll make the story pop and it'll really help it to stick to our hearts and apply its message to our Christian walks. So if there's nothing else, we're almost out of time. Um, could you pray for us real quick? Closing up, yep. Many ways you bless us. Amen. Thank you very much.